0: What's going to happen next is it's going to know enough about your business to then make a personal recommendation. Oh, you know, this is the best CRM system for a business with 50 employees that operates in the United Kingdom, that has this business model, that has this many customers, all of those things, right? And that is completely different. That is like a new form of peer recommendation where the peer becomes AI versus an actual human peer. And that is unlike search that exists today in any way, shape or form. There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction, but there is the all new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out, Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com service to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your co-host, Kip Bonder, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Kieran Flanagan, and we got a show today. The show today is all about what we thought AI search was, we were completely wrong about. We had all these preconceived notions, we were wrong, now that we've been living in an AI search world for a little while. So we are gonna take you through some of the crazy things that are happening in the world of AI search, from the technology Microsoft and Google has rolled out, to government regulations, to all of the crazy examples of discussions that people are having with these AI bots. It is going to be awesome. But most importantly, we're going to tell you how to take advantage of all of these things for your own marketing and what it means for the future for you and your business. To kind of kick us off, Karen, then I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's like, Kevin Roos, who is a reporter for the New York Times, he published a story that ran on the front page of the New York Times physical and and digital paper. And it was all about his interactions with the new Bing search that's powered by ChatGPT and how basically that he felt like he was interacting with a person who was obsessively like showing emotion, responding to him, trying to like choose what this AI would answer for Kevin or not. Like it's it was pretty bananas. And once you start, look at that, you're like, man, I don't think... Search is what we thought it was. I don't think this is just old school search with better AI. It's a completely different thing. What do you think?
1: I think everyone, their comparison for AI was like search engine. Like, here's a better version of a search engine. And we did some shows like, and what that may mean. But I have always kind of talked about it being an assistant. And I think that we may want to start to separate these things. And we may want to start to say, this is not a replacement for a search engine. This is actually something new. And if you look at some of the results that have come out, they've been pretty fascinating. So we can start with the kind of more funny ones, which is like, it feels like months back, but I think it was like literally just a week back. Or when Bing AI searched first. Came oh, out. Uh, weeks or months right now, totally. And a lot of this is getting covered in Reddit. And so there was a student who managed to crack the kind of Bing AI code and get its like code name, like its actual name that it's referred to internally, which is called Sydney. So like yeah. seen it, everyone's seen a lot of the posts around Sydney and he did a Twitter thread actually revealing, you know, what he learn how he did that, right? How we actually managed to get Bing AI to reveal those things. I don't know if you saw this, his name was Marvin. And so I think it was either him or maybe um, Ben Thompson from Strachey said like, have you heard of Marvin? You know, what are your thoughts on him? Mm-hmm. And it'd give this whole like spiel back saying that, He's a student, he has this many Twitter followers. He just recently posted a thread about me. So remember that Bing AI chat is chat GPT. I think it actually has some additional things in terms of its AI models, plus the latest web results, right? So it actually has access to the latest results. And so it knew he posted this thread. It said like he posted this thread revealing these things. He broke the rules, bad integrity said he probably is a good person, but said, I would harm this person if I had to. <laughs> now just remember oh, this is the Where chat are engine we in
0: society today.
1: This is not like a normal chat search interaction, right? Like this is very much like an interaction with something that feels human. I know it's not. It's just trying to guess the next words that it should say. So there's that article, which is like, ah, oh, like it kind of isn't a chat, like people are using it in a multitude of different ways. The thing I would say to you there, maybe I'll let you chime in because you made this point before, which is one of the aha moments just in that interaction, it already has a ton of data about you. Like if you saw that Marvin mm-hmm. interaction, wow, it knew a lot about, It knew the college he went to and you like, cause it's just scraping all the data it has about him. But then you add that to the fact that we are going to have verification. As you said, we are in a post verification world. And all of these chatbots work through logged in interactions. Yes. So the data that AI will have about you is actually going to be pretty incredible, for better or for worse. And so coming to our ads model that we talked a lot about probably is some actual real things you can do in terms of advertising based upon the data set you're now going to have around the chat interaction and yep. all of the other information you have around people.
0: The search experience in the future is going to be a 100% logged in experience. We've said this. It's not going to feel like just going into Google and just typing random query. It is going to feel more personal and customized to you because of all that logged in data and information. I think we're going to completely see that. And I right. think if you look at the interesting thing since Bing has rolled out their new chat, uh, you know, with Sydney, chat GPT, one of the things it's been bad at is that kind of most up to date data. Right. Like if you asked it how a sports team was doing, for example, it's like, oh, well, cool. I can tell you how they're doing, but it's really it's really happening off of like weeks, months old data. And what you're seeing is Microsoft solve that problem. And it's one of the problems that's going to have to happen in AI search. The two ways that AI search is not what we thought it was to to me is the data lag. Getting the data into the model is still a real lag. Even in some of these big queries, it's not real time yet. And the other thing that's going to happen that is going to make it, I think, Kieran, your thesis is that AI search is really more like a personalized AI assistant. And how we've thought about search is not going to be the way search works a year, two, three years from now, right? And I would say the big reason I think that that could potentially be true is I think we are going to go and use these AI assistants. And we're gonna train them on the data we have about ourselves and our businesses. And that's the big feedback loop that's missing. And I think part of what's gonna be coming with the next version of GPT, right now we're on GPT-3 and GPT-4, I think we're gonna get much better at being able to provide our own training data to the model to make it unique to us. And that is fundamentally going to change search because we've never ever been able to search inclusive of our own data. It's just been what's publicly available out in the world.
1: Here's a really good example of why I think they're different. And so there was a guy, I want to give him credit because he is one of the best people creating content is Ethan Mollick. You can go to a Substack. Oh, um, he's crushing.
0: Yes, right. crushing. And
1: so he had some really good examples of how he used Bing chat. But let me give you one example to go through like why it's very different, I think, than a search engine. So let's say I'm trying to do a SWOT analysis, right? In the world of search engines, I'm using my search engine to help me do that. And so what I do is I get, go and I try to retrieve information about what a SWOT analysis is, And I run a bunch of other different searches to try to help me refine how I'm working on that, mm-hmm. that analysis myself. What he did is he said, just go do it for me. So like what happens is the assistant goes and scrapes the web And then actually learns uh, how to do this thing and then can do a first draft and iterate with you, right? It's not a search engine because it's moving all of that stuff one layer down. It's doing the actual data extraction and then it's able to build upon that data. And for the most part, why we are searching for things is because we want that information to use it in some way. But the difference I see is like the chat experience moves all of that into the background and actually does the work for you.
0: Let me restate that for everybody watching because I think you just made a critically important point, Karen, which is... Search 1.0, let's say that what we've been living with pre-AI search is like, it provided us a bunch of information and then the human did all the synthesis of that information, summarized it from a lot of different sources and learned what we were trying to learn. And you're basically saying all that synthesis is now done by AI. Right. And like all that thinking and synthesis and information organization that used to be done by people is now being done by AI.
1: Right. I'll give you another example because I think this is an incredible one. Please, I got one too Except For the Bing AI chat, which is, I think it was from the same article or maybe a different one where he asked it to write him an article and it wrote him an article. And then he said, go read the teachings of this author and Mm -hmm. come back to me and write the article and highlight where you use those teachings to make the article better. And it did it. That is incredible. Mind-blowingly good. Think about like how amazing that is. Like I can go ask it to copyright a landing page and I can say, go read the learnings of David Ogilvie and come back and tell me how you made it better based upon his practices. That is actually how I learn. That's that (laughs) is the only way I can learn is like, (laughs) I can see the before and after and see how that stuff is applied. That's the only way I, I can't do the theoretical stuff where someone just talks at me or makes me read something. I just, I don't retain that information. It's a far better way of learning that is just incredible. And that's nothing to do with search, right? That's, that's not a search. engine. That's like something taking the information, making something better and actually teaching you how it made it better. And now it is put in the human as the learner and the AI as the teacher. And that's a whole other like discussion.
0: We're going to get into that. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get into section 230 and AI as a sensor mechanism and all that kind of stuff. But our friend, Greg Eisenberg, who's been on the pod before, he shared a tweet about AI models that are starting to look freakishly real. Oh, Jesus. And what I'm showing you is a picture of Alice. And Alice is a model that is 100% AI-generated.
1: Can you imagine the Look at this. fishing that's going to go on in Tinder, the fishing scams Look. that is going to go on in Tinder?
0: <laughs> I love that you immediately went to dating
1: apps. <laughs> no, not civilization, <laughs> not marketing, not business, dating apps. I, I went straight to like, where will humans use this for I, all of their own things? You
0: went straight to how are 25-year-old yeah. bros going to get screwed get over? over. In this is incredible. This. Well, it's it's incredible. And he poses an amazing question that is probably a good question kick off to this, it's like, I wonder what percentage of Instagram's content will be AI-generated in three years. All And content. it's like, yeah, all I mean, it's not all, it's not all, it's gonna be the majority. I mean, this tweet alone from Greg has over a million views, crazy. Wow. And, and you, you look at this and you're like, I have no idea how a computer did this, right? Like an AI, it makes you think a lot of things. But you know, I think it's a great example. So Kieran, I got a late night email from HubSpot co-founder and our friend Brian Halligan, And he wanted to show me what happens if you ask chat GPT what the best CRM is or what the best marketing (laughs) automation is. And what's interesting is like, you know, we at HubSpot, we sell CRM marketing automation software and it's like this really thoughtful summary, right? And it's got a grid of the different products and what's good. And then ultimately kind of closes out with, you know, ultimately it depends on your business and blah, blah, blah. And. The point that I think you and I are trying to make for everybody, that result right now, like if you look at best CRM and chat GPT, like that's what it looks like. And it looks like that because it's doing the synthesis of a bunch of different information sources. What's going to happen next? is it's going to know enough about your business to then make a personal recommendation. Oh, you know, this is the best CRM system for a business with 50 employees that operates in the United Kingdom, that has this business model, that has this many customers, all of those things, right? And that is completely different. That is like a new form of peer recommendation where the peer becomes ai versus an actual human peer and that is unlike search that exists today in any way shape or form right
1: i don't know if it's a good or bad thing and so the reason i say that is because today I think it's both i think it could be a bad thing long term because Me today too. we have some way of understanding why that recommendation was made in google like people go to google to get yes. recommendations and we have some sort of way to understand the signals to get better at to be able to make our software appear in that search if you listen to any of the interviews from people who are building these models or even the people from like within that space, it's impossible to know how those models will end up at some sort of answer. Like they they feed in the yes. information and it will bring back an answer. But if anyone is saying like they understand how it came to that answer, they will not know. That will get worse over time as these things become more sophisticated. So now you have a recommendation engine baked into AI and you don't know how it's favoring some products over others. And that's not a good thing because if people take those things at face value, how does anyone ever break the tyranny of like maybe the couple of people it recommends or the couple of products it recommends versus anyone else, does it make the playing field pretty uneven? And I I am nervous about that. That's one area that I've tried to like figure out of how it's trying to recommend products.
0: Let's go into that because this brings into the case government regulation and U.S. Section 230 and some really important things to talk about. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight, one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one off success stories. You're gonna love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. To frame this up, like let's say the most simple example, like Google and Microsoft are gonna be some of the pioneers in these AI assistants, AI search, whatever it's gonna be in the future, right? Those companies sell a lot of products outside their search business. Like, imagine if you looked at like, what's the best cloud web hosting service on Bing? And Microsoft has Azure, so how will it recommend Azure versus Amazon Web Services or other competitors, right? Like, That is a very interesting moral quandary, especially when that isn't transparent. That dovetails into Section 230, which is there's a big lawsuit right now happening. It's Google v. Gonzalez, and Gonzalez is the plaintiff. They are suing Google for allegedly being liable for passing along the information that led to the terrorism attacks in Paris several years ago. And what is happening here is historically Section 230 has allowed companies like Google to not be liable for user-generated information. So it was originally created back in the day. So if you're like a web hosting company, you're hosting somebody's website and that website had harmful information on it. The web hosting company wasn't liable. The owner of the website was liable, right? And what is getting argued in Google versus Gonzalez is essentially that a recommendation algorithm is an editorial decision, not just like passing through of some content that somebody created. It's actually distributing and recommending content. And subsequently that, company, whether it be Google, whoever, should be liable for passing that along. And so it comes into question, like, how do we think about algorithms and algorithmic transparency? And there's a really good conversation over on the All In Pod where they came to the suggested solution of algorithms should be public and you should be able to bring your own algorithm. And then that puts it all on the user level versus the platform level. But wow, this is a mind bending part of this whole problem, which is how do you regulate this? What are these companies liable for? Is the second part of it. And then the third part of it is like, how transparent should it be, right? Like, we've seen a lot in these articles from Kevin Roos, Ben Thompson, all across the kind of AI commentary that there's this trust and safety layer above the AI model that's basically filtering stuff, like, won't provide controversial answers. You know, if you're asking a question about Hitler or what, you know, very terrible, controversial figures, it will just refuse to answer the question, right? And people can hack around it and get around it. But there's this layer that basically people are hacking. And this is actually a place where I'd argue we need real government regulation and oversight to figure this all out. But in reflecting on this all, it's like, this is the wild, wild west. We do not know what is happening here. And the precedent that's going to be set in Google versus Gonzalez is going to be very important, not just for YouTube and Google, but for the future of AI and how we have transparency in these models going forward.
1: I think if user generated content platforms were deemed to be editorial versus like they have distribution rights, so they don't need to mm-hmm. worry about the editorial. They don't need to worry about any of the kind of things that they can get in trouble for, for publishing the content because they have distribution rights. If they get moved to like having like, they have to keep up as like an editorial recommendation engine and they're liable for the content their platform recommend, it kind of just breaks the internet in some it ways. totally like, breaks I, the internet. I, I actually, it breaks search. I think this is one of the things that um, I'm hoping that there's, common sense in the politics in your country and you don't break the internet <laughs> well, for everyone.
0: You're right that this is going to set a global precedent to what, what's yeah. happening in this case. I don't think the government are the best entity
1: for any of this stuff because it's, it's just so politically, it's like charged. for one side or yeah. the other. It's charged. People try to score points. A lot of decisions don't get made in good faith. They get made in how I get reelected. But anyway, less about the politics. But I just think like it's a hard one because people can say, well, then private companies, they're motivated by revenue. Politicians are motivated by it getting elected and playing to their base. The thing I would say is, because I listened to the same conversation with the in podcast, and I do like, it's cool to say just be really transparent about the algorithm and you can like pick and choose the kind of algorithm you want. Users don't want that though. Well, I think they're oversimplifying how complicated <laughs> yeah. these algorithms are. Like if you talk to anyone who's worked on the Google search engine algorithm at any given point in time, they'll tell you they don't really understand how it works anymore because it's just like so huge and so complex. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you can say, well, these are the signals we use and you can turn off signals. And so a, a good one is that there was one good recommendation in that, and I did agree with that, which is there's a slider, right? And you can yes. say, well, I want like moderate content. I want extreme content. I want whatever kind of content. And then you are liable yourself for picking that kind of content. And I do agree there should be something like that, but like publishing algorithms and like just saying that you will kind of, well, we'll make different versions of the algorithm
0: for different people. I suspect that that is very, 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 very oh, hard it's, to it's, do. It, I think it's it's probably near impossible to do. Right. But Karen, what I think all of this underlines and underscores for everybody watching is we are in the midst of the next step function of change of the internet. Like you and I keep saying this, but this is the thing to hammer home into your brain. We do not know what's going to happen. As we get to certainty on some of this stuff, as we get regulation, as we get court rulings, as we get more maturity in these AI products, everything we've talked about today, the most successful people and companies are gonna be the ones that take action directly following certainty, that say, hey, The internet has fundamentally changed. We're clear on the ways it has changed. We're going to stop doing things the way we have been doing it and do things in a new way that meets these changes. For example, Kieran, one of the things I would expect is we've got Google's big event, Google I.O. is coming up end of May, early June, somewhere in there. And Google will likely announce its next big evolution of the search engine results page, how it's incorporating AI. And there will likely be a ton of actionable details in there for marketers and businesses to take advantage of? And we'll obviously do a live pod and everything, but you have to be looking forward in that way. What are the key milestones? And then am I prepared to take action from these milestones as the core platforms are rolling out and making changes? And you
1: see a stark difference. I'll end with just some pointers that I think may be good insights for marketers to think about. But one of the things that's like very evident is there's the Microsoft throw caution to the wind approach and there's a Google like- Yeah, oh, this is good. Go through this. Going much faster, actually. Now they are going much faster, but like still much slower than Microsoft. And the Microsoft Bing AI has been out for maybe a week and it has had a ton of press and some of that you could say, there's a lot of articles where this is weird, this is terrible. I don't think any of that press is bad press. I don't I either. think it's
0: all great press. Genius for Microsoft.
1: Because everyone is over on it, trying to like play with it, figure it out. I'm waiting to get access. Please like give a lonely marketer in Ireland access to something <laughs> first for once, help, help us, please. Help us, Microsoft, help uh, us. And I do think Bing AI is showing a lot of great use cases that people can use it for. So I think Google really need to hurry up I think they're oversensitive to negative commentary around how this may work. Like even the product launch didn't go very well. I don't think any mm-hmm. of that matters. I think speed matters, but I think speed is really bad and may end up causing us to become distinct in three to 15 years. So there's that. <laughs> My kind of takeaway is actually just for marketers, like early signals for marketers, this is an incredibly powerful tool, right? Let me give you a really good example. Please. My brother is launching another company. He's continually like trying to launch companies, find something that he wants to grow and scale. And he was doing all of his product research through ChatGPT and he was like feeding it different parts of G2 crowd and feeding it different articles on like competitors and summarizing their weak points and their strengths. Now, if you actually go to Bing AI chat, you have access to the latest articles. Cause I couldn't feed in like the latest articles. Mm -hmm. You can only feed in 2001 and earlier. You can just go do a ton of product research. You can go iterate on content. So there's no manual for how to use this. You have to just learn and iterate. And Any marketer who is not learning how to use AI tools is going to be at a huge disadvantage. That's number one. Number two, the big unknown is the integration of the search. The data I would love to see in a couple of months is how many people, when they came to the Bing homepage, searched versus did a chat. And how many of those people who chatted ended up doing a search? And what did that look like the before and after? So how much is chat cannibalizing search versus how much is it adding net new users who never used search in the first place? I think that is going to be an incredibly valuable stat. And then the third one is we went back and forth in this. I do think there will be an ads model actually after seeing the yeah. Bing chat interface. I think there will be an ad model in that chat interface. I think it will suck and I think no one will use it. It just does not, (laughs) it's not going to work well. unless it's like one of the prompts you see when you're chatting and there's there's suggested prompts. So maybe the suggested prompt, there's some sponsored suggested prompts. I could see it doing that. But boy, I think there's a lot to work out.
0: Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to follow up on that with because this is just freaking bananas, all of it. One of the things that's important to understand is the cost behind some of this and why this is going to take some time. And I think if you're a business or a marketer, you don't have to immediately freak out because change always happens slower than it feels like it's happening, first of all. So just be mindful of that. And let me give you a clear illustration as to why. It costs Google 0.05 cents to run a search query. So that's like five one-hundredths of a penny to run a search query. It costs Microsoft to run a new Bing chat query 30 cents, right, so you go from 0.05, five hundredths of a penny to 30 cents, that is a massive difference in cost. And that difference in cost has caused Microsoft to take their operating expense from a billion dollars to $10 billion just to basically run this new level of Bing. And so that, first of all, is a crazy amount of money, right? And it's also explaining why it's slow to roll out. And it just means that the economics are unfeasible at scale for most companies. If you're not Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, like one of the big technology companies. And that's going to mean that, unfortunately, for better or worse, they're going to control the pace of rollout. And I think what's happening is Microsoft has incentives to be fast and aggressive. And so they're they're being that. Google has incentives to be very cautious and protect their ad business since they're doing that. All makes total sense to me. But... The net net of this is if you were a marketer, understand things are going to change, but it's gonna change slightly slower than you think because of these underlying costs. The other thing we know is we know that search isn't going to be what it has been historically. I think, Kieran, we can say through the last six months that prompt writing, prompt engineering is going to be a skill of the future. And that if you are trying to future-proof yourself as a marketer, you're gonna get really good at understanding how to prompt an AI chat, AI engine model, because it's not just going to be about querying the same keywords that you did in traditional search, it's going to be writing much more complex prompts that are layered in many ways. And that's where like, I think the sponsored prompts are going to come in. Right. Kieran, like I could see a world where, you know, we're CMOs, we're sponsoring prompts that we know are going to lead to the best result for our business. Right. Right. And so it's like, oh, we want people to use this specific prompt because we are recommended in a really great way in that prompt and not so good in this other prompt that people can also do to find similar information. Which, like, let me repeat that. That is a mind, mind bend. Right now, we are purchasing real estate when people search about our products and services. And instead, we're gonna purchase the right to recommend what they should search for to find (laughs) their product or services. Like, it's a complete, complete 180 from where we're at today. Right, make them ask the question that we appear for. Exactly. Which is just completely antithetical to how search works today. And another proof point to how we think about AI search, it needs to be very different than the world of traditional search.
1: I think it cannibalizes a lot of the the need for the traditional blue links. Oh yeah. Long term, but in Blicking the short term, but in the long term. Clicking through
0: blue links is going to go away, but that is a years away situation right. versus a today problem. So, we could keep going for hours on this topic. And, and what we're going to do is every couple of weeks we're going to come in with an episode to kind of check in with all of the evolutions of this. This is what we want to do. This was a follow-up to our AI search wars episode that has done incredibly well, most popular episode in show history. So, check that out if you have. Haven't. But I want to summarize the takeaways real quick for everybody. AI search is not regular search. Cost is completely different. Prompt writing is going to be an important skill. How people find answers and the timeliness and relevance of those answers are going to change. Search is going to become way more personalized. It's going to be unique to the person. It's going to be fed with our own data. It's going to be amazingly different. We talked about how government regulation, what's going on in Google v. Gonzalez is going to be critical to what marketers are going to need to do, not just in search, but in other platforms like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. It's going to set a real precedent and keep a close eye on that because it's going to impact how your business works. And we just talked about how crazy AI is. And like we, we looked at Alice, that AI generated model, and it's just, it is more clear than ever that AI content is going to be the majority of content and generative AI is going to transform how we all do marketing. It's, I don't know, it's, it's exciting and terrifying and everything in between, right, Kieran? I mean, I don't know what to think about it anymore. Go live your best life just in case. Do some stuff,
1: I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I think that's the most unpredictable software, if you can call it software, ever long.
0: Technology innovation of our lifetime is what you'd argue. Definitely yeah. since the internet. It, it could be even crazier than the internet long-term.
1: Right. Right. Could be because the internet is not going to uh fight back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back with lots of content. We've got some great guests coming up. We'll see you everybody real soon on Marketing Against the Grain.